0: This is the Real Estate Foundation, your show for massive action with proven results. Raise your life and your legacy with real estate. Ooh. Are you ready
1: to take your multifamily game to the next level? Well, you need to join us October 12th, Saturday, October 12th, for our one day multifamily foundation workshop. We're gonna bring it to you live. We got a list of 15 speakers they are gonna go through the process of everything it takes to get your mind right, get the deal right, learn the terms, understand the markets, learn how to find the deals, learn how to underwrite the deals, learn how to put your team together, everything from property managers to brokers to insurance companies. Beyond that, what's the proper way to raise funds for a deal and how to close a deal and what to do after you take over a deal. So it's going to be a huge event. It's going to be awesome for you to join us. Got a great space. It's going to be here in New Jersey, in Springfield, New Jersey. Of course, it's going to be a one day event, but we got everything packed in from 8 a.m. to 7 p.m. Right now, if you put in the Workshop, you're going to get a special discount. And again, that code is workshop. But you need to go to multifamilyfoundationworkshop.com. Again, www.multifamilyfoundationworkshop.com, and go fast because we've sold a ton of tickets for this. I actually was able to get a bigger room, so but that's filling up quickly as well. So again, www.multifamilyfoundationworkshop.com. Put in the code uh, workshop. There we go. Got that down. And look forward to seeing you so we can all take massive action together. But we are so excited for today's podcast. We have an awesome guest going to share a ton of knowledge and a ton of wisdom with you Omar Khan. Omar, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you, Jason. Finally, after what, two reschedulings and a couple of stuff here and there, exactly. and us meeting each other in Nashua, Nashville at the National Conference, we finally get to connect.
1: Absolutely. Podcast life for real. All, all out there, scheduling and rescheduling. Well, a little bit more about Omar. Omar has 10 years of investing across real estate and commodities with over $3.7 billion and that's a billion with a B guys in capital financing and M&A transactions syndicated large multi-million dollar deals across the U S and advised high net worth individuals and entrepreneurs on real estate portfolio allocations. And is a global citizen has lived in uh, Dubai, Toronto, Calgary, and Dallas. Wow. Omar, a lot going in there and we can go in so many different directions, but in the real estate, real estate space itself, how did you first get started, and why?
0: Well, it wasn't intentional. I wish it was intentional. What happened is my family's an entrepreneurial family, so they've as uh, part you know my grandfather and my uncles and my father, they all parked their money in one shape or form in commercial real estate, retail centers, shopping centers, a couple of houses, small little apartment buildings here and there. So just growing up, you know, at the dinner dining table, I'd hear, you know, for instance, my uncles and my father talking, "Hey, we just lease is coming up at this retail center." And, you know, we have a higher quality, say, national chain that can come in, pay us, say, slightly less money, but they're a way higher quality tenant, no no worries, no nothing. Or we could go with this, you know, local person who may not be as high quality tenant, but they'll pay us slightly more. So how do we do that? What are we looking at? And then the ups and downs, sometimes going with that local person who may or may not be the best quality tenant and then seeing the ride they take you on. Sometimes it's a good ride because you make more money. But a lot of times it's not as good of a ride, right? So, how to go through that, some of the contractual stuff, then going through the lawyers, all that kind of stuff. So, I just kind of through the process of osmosis, I've just gone through that more on the investment side. And then my background's in finance. So, when I moved down here three years ago from Canada, we just had our own money, some of our family's money. I managed some private money in Canada as well that people wanted us to invest in, in some projects. You're here, you're here, we trust you, you manage your money for us. Let's go do some business. And that's how I kind of started. I didn't know anybody. This wasn't by design. And, but, you know, one road, when you open one door, so many other doors open, right? So that's how it kind of happened. Serendipity, meeting the right people, and just, you know, meeting the right people, I think, was the biggest thing.
1: That's great. And now you said your family had, had money that they parked in real estate, whereas their are entrepreneurial businesses, other businesses outside yeah. of
0: real estate. Yeah, yeah. 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 This was, you know, where they're investing, you know, a lot of the stuff they did a lot of, you know, how people invest in the stock market. They did that. They did commercial real estate and a bunch of other stuff.
1: So with so much going on, when someone typically asks you just, what do you do? What do you say?
0: Well, first of all, most people, I don't think they approach me just like that and ask me that. But if they do, I tell them, look, we, what we do is now we syndicate large apartment complexes across Texas and Florida. Why I say that specifically is because now over 60% of my investors are American, but starting out, most of my investors were Canadians, a lot of people out of UAE, Pakistan, India, Hong Kong, just a lot of guys I went to school with, right? So to explain to them what I was doing, it wasn't just, hey, I'm buying apartment complexes in the U.S. It's like, okay, where are you buying? Why are you buying? What's the deal? So just small little things like that. And now, you know, once you meet the right people, you start uh, talking, you know, you do a couple of deals, people bet other people. That's how it happens now.
1: Yeah, and so, with forty percent of your investors still from out of the United States, yeah. if, if there's an international investor listen, listening here that maybe wants to invest passively in a real estate deal here in the United States, is there is there some kind of a paperwork or framework or, or some oh, yeah. hurdles that they may face that maybe a U.S. investor wouldn't? And on a high level, yeah.
0: would be? Well, yeah for instance anytime you're going into any country it's not a us-based thing just look if you're a canadian like i'm canadian but if an american shows up to invest in canada even though you know we have such good relationships and all of that stuff they'll still have to do a couple of more things than a regular canadian person would do i mean that's just that's just common but for us what we do is just because we've had so many investors from all over the place we can now connect them with uh the right professionals cross-border cpas international cpas lawyers all that stuff now if you had to do this on your own it sounds daunting, it isn't as daunting as it sounds, but again, you have to know the right people. <coughs> Excuse me. And just with my background in finance, in banking specifically, I just happened to knew a lot of people anyways who were doing this, just internationally, just because of my network. So it, it was slightly more easier for me than somebody else coming in and doing this.
1: Understood. and so as you build up your network <coughs> and across all different platforms, just if there's someone out there with no experience, that's looking to get started how, how do they start to surround themselves with the right people
0: well guys i'm a case in how to surround yourself with the right people because i did not know a soul when i moved to texas i mean my uncle's in austin but that doesn't really count because i'm in dallas he's in austin really far away look how what we did is um i've always uh, been been of this inclination especially because i live in a few cities now that a lot of times when i go to a city i'm i'm a cfa charter holder so a lot of times i will go i will look at all the people who are in, who've done the CFA charter—it's like a finance thing, right? And I will email all of them who have interesting job titles. of, "Hey, new to town? What's going on? Let's meet." And you'd be very surprised if you belong to the CFA, the CN—in fact, any society. Even if you're a construction worker and you belong to the construction union, you go to the construction union and you say, "Hey, I'm new to town. Connect me with some people." They're more than happy to connect you with people. I'm a Rotarian also. My family's been involved with Rotary for over 60 years. My dad was a district governor. So. Rotaries everywhere in the world, right? I mean, rotaries in small towns in, in America and Canada. So, just, you know, working those things out, right? And you have to keep knocking on doors, following up with people. What I've learned, specific, especially now, is when I was younger, I'd email somebody, I'd reach out to somebody, but then my follow ups wouldn't be that good or they'd be irregular. And now I've realized that if I just follow up regularly, Nine times out of 10, most people will meet you sometimes because sometimes it's just bad timing, right? They're, they're at a vacation and they're busy. They just can't reach out to you, right? But if you follow up politely, respectfully, people have no problem meeting you. I mean, so far I haven't encountered anything and I have moved three countries.
1: Yeah, there you go. And that's proof. Yeah. And so what's a way to make that a productive meeting for both sides instead of just
0: having you there as a ask? Well, you kind of have to have a reason why you're meeting somebody, right? I mean, all these people that, for instance, I reached out to and I still meet, I have a reason. Like they're, they're, they're doing either something really cool uh, or is there something that I want to do and they're at a very good position or they've gone through that experience and now they're at, the, at a different level completely or they are a connector. So they know a lot of other people in things that I'm interested in doing. I, either one. I mean, you have to have a compelling reason. You can't just meet somebody for the sake of meeting somebody because busy people don't have that kind of time. Yeah. So you have to be very respectful of their time also. And if you're respectful of their time people very quickly figure you out man. none of this is rocket science right people quickly figure you out and this is my personal experience and more more often than not people want to help you but you kind of have to ask the right questions if you don't ask the right questions i mean kind of hard to help somebody
1: sure no, i appreciate that now if we move into the syndication space uh-huh if you were going back to your first syndication deal what did that look like and why did you chose why did you choose that deal to get involved with
0: okay well, that's a good question i think the bigger reason for that was it was just look, it was a good time in the market number one It was a couple of years ago so it was a good time in the market but the bigger reason why i chose that was were the people that i was working with because these people had a good track record but more than that after having talked to over 200 people I kind of figured out that they also had the skills that I lacked. So for instance, I can do all this asset management, finance, legal, all this stuff, core. Because I mean, I can do this in my sleep. But they had a lot of local connections like broker connections, property management connections. They had walked a lot of neighborhoods. They've done it so many times that they kind of knew the small nuances that only locals do, right? I mean, somebody coming in from the outside will not know these things. So that was very important to me, number one. And then as part of this process, what was also important to me was connecting with the right people. Cause I always feel it's better to build a relationship with the right person and start slowly and then go from there as to just exploding, you know, don't try to do like 10 things at one time with the wrong person. And then you never end up doing anything properly.
1: So I have two follow up questions from there with the first deal. Uh, you, you talked about Texas and Florida. This was in Texas.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. This was in San Antonio.
1: And uh, an apartment building.
0: Yep. 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 That's, I'm talking about the first syndication, multifamily syndication. Yeah.
1: So in regards to this, talk a little bit more about about filling roles because lots of people, they're so, they're so set on doing it all themselves that they paralyze themselves to the point of not being able to start it. So can you talk a little bit further about this, about why you would choose not to try with so much experience, not to try and do the whole deal yourself and why, find the right pieces for maybe something you're lacking can really help you accelerate, accelerate your entire career.
0: Okay. The secret answer that I don't tell people is that I'm a lazy person and I don't want to do everything myself. (laughs) But the bigger answer there is, look, we all have 24 hours in the day, right? And how we choose to spend those 24 hours is up to us and me. I I mean, look, I have a family man. I have a young family and I that is my first priority. I also love reading. I also love going to sleep, right? And I also know where my strengths are and where my strengths are not, right? And the way I look at it is, look, I can either try to work on my weaknesses and we should all try to work on our weaknesses, right? I'm not trying to completely ignore it. Look, I can either spend like eight or 10 hours a day working on my weakness, or I can spend the same eight to 10 hours a day working on my strengths in which I'm exponentially better than 90% of the people. Because that same eight or 10 hours in terms of just productivity, I will blow people out of the water in where my strengths are. Right. And similarly, my partner who complements my weakness, there's no way I can compete with the guy. It's not, it's not even a matter of hours. It's a matter of productivity. And how much, you know, unit of productivity do you get per hour? That's what I'm looking at. How can we do this the most efficiently? Because to me, you know, OK, so just as a side note, an old Chinese prime minister, Deng Xiaoping, when China was opening up and they are communist, Right. So they're starting to introduce uh, factories. Right? And everybody's up in arms and say, like, how can you do this? You're bringing all these American ideas in. And he had a really famous quote, which stuck with me ever since I read it as a kid. And he said, it doesn't matter if the cat is white or black, as long as it catches the mouse. Right? So that's what I think. It doesn't matter what I do or what I don't do. What matters is we do the deal. We make everybody happy. Our investors make money. We make money. Everybody's a happy camper.
1: I love that. That's awesome. And you, you mentioned that you did this deal a few years ago when the market was a little more easy, easy, right? So now with that said, how has your mindset or your underwriting process changed today versus a couple of years ago when you first did that deal? What are you looking for now? What, what's standing out from you? Are, are you sitting on the sidelines or still being in acquisition mode?
0: No, we're still in acquisition mode. It's just that earlier, if you had to look at say 50, 60 deals before we kind of found out the ones we really like. Now I got to do 100, 200 deals. I mean, just kind of go through that whole process. But I think what's helping us now, which wasn't really helping us earlier. So with every good, there's a bad. And with every bad, there's a good. Is that we have more deeper relationships now. So for instance, the kind of deal flow we're getting now, we weren't getting three years ago, even though the market was better three years ago. So I wasn't getting access to these opportunities. And then when I'm getting access to these opportunities, my investor network is bigger also. So even if I got a better, say, bigger opportunity three years ago, I might not have been able to take advantage of that just because my investor network isn't big and all that stuff and my company wasn't that big. So yeah, even though it's it's technically harder to find a deal, but just through the process of time and having more people on the team, having more eyes, having better partners, more experienced partners, we're able to do our deals more efficiently. Now that being said, it's still a pain trying to find the right deal. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And you hear so much about people talking about, and so let's say, let's preface this, someone who hasn't done their first deal and with so much talk about you know, being at the top of the market or on, on, on a really high, high expensive point in the market, that talk about waiting on the sideline, what's an objection for why they should not wait in the sideline and they should still be active today instead of waiting for this correction to come tomorrow or three years from now?
0: Well, look, first of all, <laughs> the rules are always gonna be the same. Number one, we only know the top in hindsight. We don't know the top while we're in there, the number one, right? And I can say this from personal experience, because I have been privileged enough to go through two major recessions. One was 2008 and one's the oil crash because I was not only in the S M A, and I can tell you, during both crises, everybody, look, it's very easy to say, it's very lazy, I think, in my mind, to say, oh, we're at the top of the market. When you, have, when you and I have no information, that is different. Like, you don't have more information than I do. You're just saying this to be lazy, number one. Number two, think about it. I'm not saying you do more deals, but what I'm saying, think about it in the way that, look, if you don't do anything right now, and anything doesn't mean just deals. You can still be working your network. You can be developing deeper relationships, developing your investor network, so when the right deal does come along, you can, you can actually take advantage of that. If you don't do this right now, what will happen in a recession when nobody knows you, you have no track record, and you can't go raise capital? Who's gonna give you money? Who's gonna lend you money? How are you gonna take advantage of these deals? And what people, a lot of people also don't realize is, is that yeah, the deals might be better in a recession, But nobody's lending. The banks are not lending. So, how are you magically going to go buy these deals at a discount?
1: That is some of the best reasons I've heard. And it's absolutely correct. If you're not doing deals now, building your relationships, building your team. When the recession hits, no one's lending, no one knows you. There's no track record. Everybody's so scarce with their money. Yeah. Think about how difficult it's going to be then, even if there's opportunities falling off trees.
0: So, yeah, and my point is, look, you can have all the opportunity in the world, but if you're not in a position to uh, you know, take advantage of them, they might as well not exist. Yeah.
1: Okay. Right? That's great. That's great. Now, looking at where your business is at right now, what is a what is challenge that you're working to improve on?
0: I think the challenge we always keep asking ourselves is, by the way, the same questions we asked earlier. Where are we in the market, number one? And where are we in the market relative to which sub-markets we're in? Because every market is slightly different, right? Look, Dallas is slightly different, San Antonio is different, Houston is different, then we're in Florida, Jacksonville, Tampa, Lakeland, Orlando. They're all different in some shape or form. There is no one U.S. market, you know, if you think about it, right? Every, every place has different idiosyncrasies, number one. Number two, what we're also trying to figure out all the time is, how to make each of our processes smoother, faster. So if something comes through the door, actually I'm writing a blog post on this. How do we underwrite deals without necessarily even touching the numbers? How do we like filter through the process? What's our filtering mechanism, right? And we're continuously developing that because look guys, 80 to 90% of the deals you come across, even if they fit your investment criteria, you shouldn't even be looking at I mean, they're just... People are just trying to market that's it. So you need to have a filtering mechanism and an efficient filtering mechanism because you're always learning, right? Through which deals come in and you filter these quickly within five minutes or 10 minutes, that's it. You're not wasting your brain power, chasing, you know, just chasing your tail for no reason. So that, those are some challenges we keep working on all the time, but I think it's an ongoing thing, even in a good or bad market, we're, we're always gonna be thinking about these things.
1: If you wouldn't mind sharing, what's a couple things that you look at that could kick a deal out, even if it may look promising at first look within five or ten minutes, you say this isn't a deal for us.
0: So simply, put, first of all, we, we developed our investment criteria and we had a lot of back and forth on this between our partners saying, look, how much can we really stretch on our investment criteria? So as an example, we said, look, 100 plus deals, but ideally 130 to 200 units right now a lot of times and you know and then we have all this value add bc 10 percent below market rents 1975 plus vintage pitch, pitch roofs all, all of these things right but at each point we really even though it's only three or four words we really had to sit down and think what do these words mean and i know it sounds trite but the reason for that is because a lot of times what happens is as soon as you say 120 is my minimum right i bet you that same day you will have three deals that are 115 units i bet you you're going to get the same three right that's just I just think God has a funny way, right? And you have to kind of realize at this time, well, how much can I go up or down? Because my point is you can't keep stretching yourself in both directions. Because eventually you're going to have to realize, okay, anything below 100, I'm not even going to look. Even if it's 99, I'm going to be militant about this, right? So for us, what we did is 100, 200, but really 120 plus is our speed spot. Lowest we can go is 100 units. So if we come across deals, and we do, that are 95, 88 units, not even going to look at them. Not even going to do it. But we had to force ourselves because a lot of times what happens is I'll write an email to my partner or send a message on the Slack and say, oh, this looks really good. And my partner has to remind me, you talked talk about it, 100 units, not going to do it. And my, or my partner tells me something, I was like, dude, you talked about it, nothing below 30 million. <laughs> God. But developing those things, number one, right? Number two, repeating this investment criteria over and over again to brokers. Because look, man, brokers are salespeople. There's nothing wrong. They're trying to put food on the table right? The same way you and I are trying to do this for our families. So they, their job is to go sell. So if they send you something, you politely, well, first of all, you thank them for thinking about you. Then you say, hey, look, we're going to pass on this because it doesn't meet our investment criteria. Here is our investment criteria. Honestly, just copy paste this stuff, right? Boom, done. Then for instance, what we've done is we've made maps for each city that we're in, right? We're, we've had layers, so we color code everything, right? So immediately, as soon as we get an address and we plop it on our map, we immediately figure out, okay, is this even an area I want to be in, regardless of how the numbers look, regardless of what the criteria is, because if it's in an area which is surrounded by all the bad areas, or if it's right in smack dab in the middle of the bad area, because we bought that area, bought that part now, pass, we're not even going to look at it. That's but awesome. all of this requires you to have very strong foundations, talk about each thing, so that you're not chasing your tail when things are actually coming through the door.
1: You touch on so many good points there. so. Reiterate, I reiterate, the one with the broker is absolutely correct. You're going to give them your criteria and say it's, you know, classy apartments, 1975 and newer, uh, up to 2006, 100 units plus. The next day they're going to send you, you know, a 12 unit built 2017, you know, <laughs> class A. And you're like, what? But you got to reply to them. You have to get back to them because that's how you start the relationship because they're going to send you all the stuff that maybe they can't push off or just is is sit on the sideline or, or nobody else has kicked on and you have to filter through with them and respond. And then two weeks later, I respond to them again, just follow up politely with your same criteria and just complete that process. And then you'll start mm-hmm. to eventually in your wheelhouse. And so just for my own knowledge, you know, why is 120 your cutoff compared to maybe 115? What is it that stands
0: out about you Well, know, like? 120 was our sweet spot. 100 is our minimum, right? We said, you know, I said 100, 200, but we're like, what if it's 99? Because that invariably, that always happens. I, I don't know, maybe this is just my bad luck. Right? invariably that happened with 100 what we were seeing is from a property management perspective because we are only getting third-party property management we were we, we just started going into the less than 3.5 percent property management area on average with a lot of these property managers and anything below 100 our just cost structure wasn't working out now is that a universal thing no it's not it's just for the markets we're in and that's a decision we had to take and i'm positive that the guys who are similar to us they might say 82 200 Right, everybody's got to pick a number, right? You got to figure out where you're at. Right. And by the way, none of this is scientific. It's not like I don't know. I didn't run a scientific model on this. We just picked a number and then we stuck to it.
1: Good. I love that. I love that. That's great. And you, you've now moved into other markets, and you've talked about now now looking beyond just the city into the submarkets, and that cannot be more important because every city, whether you're flipping, you know, wholesaling, yeah. buying rentals, buying multifamilies, every city has good and bad neighborhoods. You know. Oh yeah and everything else. And if you don't know which part, which school, you know, which school system you're in within that town, I mean, you can be losing a lot of money just based on the deal. Now, you oh, look yeah. at Florida. What are, what are, what, what, so let's pick a city. Why did you move into that city? What stood out to you and, and how did you really dissect that city?
0: So, for instance, we, we're we looking at a few cities in Florida. So, number one, our number one pick is Jacksonville. And then we're looking Tampa, Lakeland, Orlando, because it's that I-4 corridor, Right. So Jacksonville, why we picked is because even though we really like Tampa and we really like Orlando and then Lakeland's kind of right in the middle, so that gets a lot of traffic from both parts. Jacksonville still, to date, right now, has better pricing compared to both cities. With the, I mean, with very reasonable growth forecasts, a lot of really good solid jobs and a diversity of jobs. And a lot of these are white collar, blue collar mixed, but really high paying. And by high paying, I mean, 60 to 80, 100 grand sort of jobs, right? Lots of finance jobs are moving there, law, transportation, entertainment, number one. So pricing was a big issue. Number two, what we were also looking at is from our personal perspective and just, this is my finance background is that I understand that while some smaller markets are more attractive, just cause you get better pricing. I've always been of the, my personality and my experiences are very risk management oriented. So it's not for me, it's not just getting into the deal. It's getting out of a deal. That's why I'm looking at the round trip. So this is why, I don't know, maybe I'm superstitious. Everybody, every time somebody says, I won a deal. I'm there, I'm like, oh no, 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 man, you didn't win a deal. We'll only know if we won the deal once we sell the deal. Yeah, sure. We were just awarded a deal right now. So me, I'm looking at just a round trip. Hey, in a few years when we go to sell it, is there going to be a big enough buyer pool, number one? And even if we're in the middle of a recession, in a big enough city, obviously, there's always going to be an organic amount of buyers. So yeah, you'll take a loss, even in the worst case scenario, but somebody will be there to bail you out. And you don't get that in smaller markets.
1: That's an awesome point because you, you also think of it from a buyer pool. Yeah. Who is the buyer going to be? Is it going to be an institution? Or are you going to be just a mom and pop down the street, the yeah. doctor? Because they're all going to look at it from a different perspective too. Yeah. Mom and pop may just be like, I only focus on per unit. So no matter what, yeah. it is, I just want to pay a per unit price based on something else where maybe you have the institution looking at a cap rate based on your improvements. So it, it, you couldn't have said it better that, you know, focusing on your market, you also, it's everybody's so focused on buying the deal, but what happens when you get the deal and how are you going to get out of the deal in the end? Investors involved. So absolutely great points. Thank you for that. If you're looking at your trajectory over the next five years, um, I I don't want to skip past this. I know you have an awesome underwriting software come out. So let's talk about that. But what is the next five years of your business look like?
0: Look, man, I stopped making five-year plans a little while ago, ever since I had a kid. Now my plans are one to three years in advance. And I just try to put one foot, uh, one foot ahead of the other. And we know as long as we're doing the right processes, we're taking the right steps for the right reasons. We're docu- I'm, I'm like very particular about documenting and organizing everything. So a lot of times I realize that you can do a lot of stupid things and sometimes the market bails you out. And you can do a lot of intelligent things and the market never bails you out. So we, we're very process oriented because we realize process nine times out of 10 in the long run wins, right? I mean, it's, it's just habits, you know, we're trying to build better habits, putting one foot ahead of the other and constantly being in communication with our investors. A lot of times, uh, look, I personally feel like some guys might think it's over communication, but I'd much rather over communicate, explain everything, the good and the bad, by the way. And I know people appreciate the fact when you tell them, look, this is the bad. These are the things that did not work out. Yeah. And as long as you're upfront, you're honest, and you're constantly communicating, that's what we focus on. Cause a lot of this business is it's human relations. As long as you got that part down, honestly, man, you can really not do a good job in all the other areas and still get away with things.
1: And when you're talking about investor relations, are you talking about strictly for properties that you have investors on now or your entire investor pool? Talk? Entire investor pool.
0: And then specific, look property specific, obviously, because you obviously have to tell people what's going on with their money. That's your ethical responsibility more than, forget about legal. That's your ethical and moral responsibility. Somebody has given you their hard-earned money. They've worked really hard to save that money. It is your ethical and moral responsibility to tell them everything and be transparent. But with the larger buyer pool, our investor pool, what we're always doing is most every month I'm sending out just interesting observations because we're in the business. A lot of times, you know, we send out interesting observations. I write a very successful blog now where we really go in depth on technical things that people don't cover or rather don't want to cover or don't even know about. The reason is because we feel an educated investor is just a better long term partner.
1: Yeah. And, what you touch on there is that things that people don't want to go into as a, as the GP or, or the lead syndicator, yeah. if you are going to get into syndication, do your homework and put together the process. Cause remember you are bringing on people's money and it's your, your ethical is one word to put it, but it's your duty to be able to go out there and offer the best process for your investors, be able to give them the best opportunity to succeed in the investment. So you have to think of every reason why and not just shoot for the moon and figure that, if, you know, the broker tells me that I can get rent bumps at twenty dollars and that's going to magically happen right away. You mm-hmm. need to dive in and figure out every reason why that couldn't happen and why you put the investor's money in jeopardy. So, Oh,
0: man, you raised a really good point. This is a pet peeve of mine. This is really a pet peeve of mine. You, you just nailed it right up the head. A lot of times when I talk to folks, especially New York syndicators, which is a lot of folks just generally, and they say, let's assume they're putting in a new, you know, they're jacking up their rubs. So let's assume Rob's was at 50 and they want to take it to 70 and the market can do that. And the first day in your underwriting, they say, boom, it goes to 70. You know, I'm sure, dude, well, what's going to happen? Are you going to come and wave a magic wand? Is that what's going to happen? Because it's not, it's not an accurate reflection of reality. What's going to happen is it's going to be a couple of months, maybe six, 12 months, where you're slowly going to layer this in. Okay, Every other, you put trash valet, you put carboards, you put parking, you name it. Nothing's going to happen the first day, man. It's going to be a slow incremental increase and eventually you're gonna hit a stabilized numbers. And yeah, that you hit it right on the head, man. That's such a pet peeve of mine, man.
1: It's hilarious. It's yeah, yeah. Care,
0: careless mistake, right? You're like, dude, are you being careless or you don't care? Well, which one is it?
1: Well, if you think about a tenant who lived in that place, just imagine that actually was the way that you tried to do it. And uh, day one, it's $200 rent pumps, you just show yeah. up and a stake in the ground. Your rent's $200 higher. Think about how that's gonna go over with your tenants. Well, you can't <laughs> even
0: do it legally, because if they have a lease, exactly. what are you gonna do? Yep. Yeah.
1: So, oh, I love that. That's great. Well. You've done and given us so much. Let's talk a little bit about the
0: underwriting software you have coming out because I don't want to miss out to hear more about this. Well, look, well, thank you for that plug, number one. You know, so uh, what happened is just with my background again, uh, a lot of my friends, you know, we're all in finance. A lot of the guys are in investment banking, private equity. So when I moved to the U.S., I did not even know that. Well, hell, I didn't even know you could take a weekend course and suddenly you can call yourself an underwriter, an asset manager, and I don't know, the president of the country or whatever you want to call yourself. I didn't even know this world existed. The reason why I didn't know this world existed is because every single person I'd invested with before, they were funds or they were private equity managers, you come in and they kind of know everything. You say, hey, can I do this? Can I do that? And it's not like a whole, let me talk to my guru. It's like, let's do it on the fly and let's get you an answer right now, right? Because these people know what's going on. So we had a lot of folks, and you know just now we're friends and investors and just other syndicators also that kept coming back to us either their waterfalls weren't working, or they had taken copied some guru's you know investor model and that, I mean, look, I, I don't want to sound rude, but my point is if your guru is giving you like an a weekend seminar at the air, airport Sheraton, he's probably not a good real estate investor I mean, let's be honest you, know, you don't think, you don't see Donald Trump giving a seminar at the airport center, at the airport Sheridan. okay, that doesn't happen, okay. So a lot of folks have copied a lot of those models, and what the bigger thing was the markets bailed them out in the past few years, just because it's growing up. Look, if there's a market, if there's a cap rate compression from seven percent to five percent, okay, you can do everything wrong, and you still come out looking like a million bucks, okay. You could literally crack the bag, and you could still look like a genius, okay. But people shouldn't confuse luck with skill. So what was happening was continuously people would be asking us such questions, and you know I do this, my partners do this, and eventually a lot of our a couple of other syndicators, a lot of other folks told us, hey, can you build out a software for us and we'll pay you. And one of the things I've realized in my life is when you have customers telling you to go do something and they want to pay you, you do it. That's the bleeding heart of capitalism. Okay, so we did it. So now a lot of these things are going to be automated. And this is coming from a syndication multifamily perspective. So this isn't like some regular, you know, tool, but you kind of have to twist and turn and then you kind of make it into multifamily. So not only do you get all the rent roll analysis, all that stuff, historical C12, all the levers that we use, what you also get is a lot of asset management stuff. So for instance, you come in and you say, hey, unit number one, hundred dollars a rent pump. It's going to go offline for two months, come online for one month, and we're gonna be it's gonna be available March nineteenth. Unit number two, available April 20th, right? You do all of this stuff, so when you're talking to your property manager, they get this entire schedule. So then they can say, this unit, I'm putting the gold renovation package. This unit, I'm putting the bronze renovation package. So when everybody's on the same schedule, your property manager isn't trying to be lazy and be like, ah, didn't well, really do it this time, you know, I didn't really have any contractors. Because you've laid out a whole plan for them, Start to the because this is what we're doing anyway. So when you have a lot of these things, when you have all of this reporting, So now not only do you get all this stuff, you also get really high quality reporting. So when you have to send it out to your equity uh, partners, your lenders, your brokers, your other partners, you get such a high quality professional looking product that honestly 99.99% of the questions are already answered. It looks good, you look professional, it brings you credibility, while you have all the tools at your disposal that most right now people don't have, or you need like a $2 million operational budget to get access to these tools. Incredible. Well,
1: how can you find out more about it?
0: Well, I'm glad you asked. You can go to our website. Uh, go to deal, D-E-A-L, Analytica, A-N-A-L-Y-T-I-C-A. That's one word. And you can sign up. And we're going to release the beta version in a couple of weeks. And you'll be on our list. So you'll be one of the first people. And then whatever comments and all that stuff you give us, we're going to incorporate. And so far, we've gotten a great response. Because a lot of folks, like I said, they were like, dude, I need this. I, I literally am flying blind right now. Uh, it's incredible.
1: Well, a few more questions before we let you go there. So we appreciate your time. If you have a new investor listening to today, what's a step that they should take to get started?
0: Well, I think the step they need to take to get started is to tell themselves that there's no tomorrow, there's no day after, there's no one month from now. Today is when you start making a difference. Now, I'm not saying you, today is when you invest, but don't put this off. Realize that the onus is on you. Personal responsibility is very important. So start educating yourself, start reaching out to people. I mean, start reaching out to you. You can reach out to me and start talking to people because till you don't talk to people, till you don't under, you know, communicate what you're looking for, you never even know what options are out there. And I think this is a problem, more problem with the guys because guys feel like I can't show any vulnerability. I can't show that I you know don't know this answer. Guys just feel like they have to know everything. And so far, at least I felt like guys really need to take a step back and realize, look man, if I don't know something, It's not
1: the end of the world if I ask somebody. That's great. Are there some words you live by?
0: Yeah, my wife. (laughs) (laughs) Well said.
1: Yeah. Well said, right there. I love it. I love it. Well, if there's others, we we have the way to contact you in regards to the underwriting process. If someone would like to contact you and and talk to you directly or hear more about you, is there a a website or an email that would be best to reach
0: out for you? Yes, please. So you can go to our website. It's boardwalkwealth, so B-O-A-R-D, one word, dot com. Yeah, there's a sign up page there. So you can put your name, you can put your email address and you can say, hey, how would you find out about us? And then we'll reach out to you because it automatically comes to us. You can also email me directly at Umar O-M-A-R, at boardwalkwealth.com. And I'd be more than happy to answer any question that if I don't know the answer, I'd be more than happy to connect you with somebody in the industry who knows the answer, who would be better able to guide you.
1: Absolutely incredible. Omar Khan, thank you so much for all the information today. I've learned a ton. Our guests and our listeners, I'm sure, are going to get so much out of this. And make sure you listen to this twice. He gave so much information in here that I'm sure listening to it twice, you're going to pick up a ton of things that you did not hear the first time. Again, this is uh, Jason with the Real Estate Investing Podcast. Omar Khan, thank you so much for your time. To all the listeners out there,
0: thank you. Thank you very much. It was a great honor. Boom. Mm.